Hey, Luke 21, 5 through 19. So if you'd like to open your Bibles and follow along with me. Then, as some spoke of the temple, how it was adorned with beautiful stones and donations, he said, These things which you see, the days will come which will not one stone will be left upon another that shall, be thrown, that shall not be thrown down. So they asked him, saying, Teacher, but when will these things be? And what sign will there be when these things are about to take place? And he said, Take heed that you do not be deceived. For many will come in my name, saying, I am he. And the times will draw near, therefore do not go after them. But when you hear of wars and commotions, do not be terrified, for these things must come to pass, must come to pass first, but the end will, come immediate, will not come immediately. Then he said to them, Nations will rise against nations, and kingdoms against kingdoms, and there will be great earthquakes in various places, and famines and pestilence, and there will be fearful sights and great signs from heaven. But before these things, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up from the synagogue, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons. You will be brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake. But it will, tur- but it will turn out for your, you as an occasion for testimony. Therefore, settle it in your hearts not to meditate beforehand on what you will answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which will, all of your adversaries will not be able to contradict or resist. You will be betrayed by parents and brothers, relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. And you will be hated, all, you'll be hated by all for my name's sake. But not a hair of your head shall be lost. Your patience possesses your souls. Shall we pray? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we just come before you, Lord, and we just recognize you as our King and our Lord, Father. Lord, we thank you for your prophecy. You tell us in advance that your plan is being worked out and what that plan is. You give us insights into what you'll have, what's coming for us in the future, Father. So, Lord, we ask the blessing on your scriptures today. Lord, we raise up Jackie as he delivers your word, Father. We pray for open hearts and minds that we hear what we hear today is incorporated into our lives moment by moment. So, Lord, we ask a blessing over Jackie's teaching. We ask a blessing over this church, Father. And we praise you through the precious blood of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. As we come to the text this morning, it's somewhat familiar text for folks who have been studying the Word for a while. It's what's called the Olivet Discourse, although Luke is different. I know uh, sometimes there's a lot of questions about why. Why is there differences in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and, and John? And, well, to be honest, it's simple. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are different writers, and they have different focus. And so... Uh, they're going to emphasize the things they emphasize. The data is the same, right? The things Jesus said, those are the same. But, but the purpose behind or the framework through which the data is being uh, delivered, that changes. Luke is, has, has a particular goal in his gospel that he wrote for. Just like we would see any editorial you've ever read. If we read an editorial, we know that the person who wrote the editorial wants me to understand something about what he wrote, right? It's not, it's not just facts and figures. It's what, what's my purpose? What is being laid out for us to comprehend? And for the Jews that were gathered, remember where Jesus is at in the Gospel of Luke. He's up on the temple, right? And they've been questioning his authority. And they've been saying, How, who gave you the authority? Why should we listen to you? What's the, what's the big deal? You know, and and so Jesus has been dealing with a lot of those questions, kind of laying out where it is that his authority comes from. And then maybe in an effort to change the subject. You guys ever been in an uncomfortable conversation before? Nobody? Has there ever been in one of those? Where you start saying, so how about those Dodgers? Or <laughs> Right? So, so they think, maybe they think they're diffusing, right, uh, the disciples, because they say... Look at all these stones here. Oh, all oh, the, the temple was a beautiful place. We read about the destruction of the temple. The first destruction of the temple happens when Babylon conquers Judah. 
If you look at the history of Israel, Israel kind of starts off in their monarchy. The king, their first king, Saul, everybody remember? Saul, head and shoulders above everybody else, kind of st- stood out, looked like a, a brave king, somebody everyone could follow. But Saul didn't really want to obey God. And so God said to Saul, you know what, I, I'm rejecting you as king. I've, I've raised up another. He found a little shepherd boy out in the field, right? His name was David. So David comes in after Saul, and David unifies the kingdom. And then David's a man of war. He spends a lot of time fighting, right? A lot of time fighting. And David, toward the end of his life, says, Man, God, I want to build you a house. And, and God says, You know, David, I don't want you to build me a house. God says, I'll build you one. I, I'm going to make the, the family, the line of David, an important line, right? We're, we're going to see Messiah, Jesus Christ, being born in that very line. But he says, I don't want you to build me a house because you're a man of blood. You, all you, you've just been fighting wars. I want a man of peace to build my house. So David has a son, right, named Solomon. God changes Solomon's name. It's kind of a pet name that God has with him. He calls him Jedidiah, which means beloved. And he says to Solomon, he gives Solomon a blank check, right? Solomon, what do you want? Ask, and I'll give it to you. We all know the story, don't we? Solomon said, Lord, give me wisdom to lead your people. So God gives him wisdom to lead his people. Pay attention. He didn't give him wisdom in marriage, wisdom on relationship with women. Obviously, he needed a lot of practice with that, right? A thousand wives and concubines. Everybody always asks me, how is it he's so smart? It didn't say he was so smart. Just say, give him wisdom to lead his people. Solomon's whole reign, what's he got? Peace. Whole reign. But Solomon, even in his writings, as his life starts to spiral out of control, as he loses his focus on following the Lord, and he does these things. Three things that God said, Solomon, don't do these three things. Stay away from these three things. Don't multiply horses, where you'll start to put your hope in your army. The horses was like how you would measure how strong an army you had. He said, don't multiply horses. Solomon built more stable cities than any king before him or after him. He said, don't multiply wives. Because if you multiply wives, they're going to turn your heart away from me. And Solomon, in an effort to be a peaceful king, he made a lot of treaties, and it seemed like every treaty he made came with another wife. So he had lots of wives. But one of the deals was with the wives, he'd take this wife and she'd say, I want a temple to my God. And so Solomon built her a temple. And you have the introduction of idolatry in the nation of Israel. The third thing he said, don't multiply gold and silver. The Bible says they had so much gold and silver in Israel, they stopped counting it. Became like stone. If you you come with us to Israel next November you'll realize what that means because there is no shortage of stones in Israel at all. So he disobeyed in these three areas and later on as his life is spiraling, he's losing his focus and he's, he's missing out on this relationship that he started with, right, where, where God called him beloved. Later on in his life he says, you know, how do I know that the one who comes after me won't be a fool? And sure enough, his son comes up and Solomon died and he says, we need to raise the people's taxes because it just seems like something we're supposed to do if we're in government, right? So that he says, his, his leaders say, don't do it. We've been doing all this building and building up of the kingdom. Solomon had high taxes. Just, just give the people a break and they'll follow you all the way through. And Jeroboam says, nah. We're going to raise the taxes. Rehoboam splits off and you have two kingdoms now. Israel and Judah. Ten tribes go north. Two tribes in the south. They kind of divide. And the kingdom to the north, they're like, you know what? We can't let the people go back to Jerusalem to worship. If they go back to Jerusalem to worship, then they're just going to go back. So we're going to make our own gods. So if you come with us to Israel, we'll go to Dan. Dan's in the northernmost part. Of, of Israel, it's where they put a golden calf. You guys remember the golden calf story, right? They built another golden calf. 
And, and the king declared to the people, this, this is your, this is your God. This is the God you are going to worship and follow. And so that's what they did. The northern kingdom never has a good king. You know how the Bible de- defines a good king? A king who follows the Lord. If somebody follows the Lord, he was a good king. If he doesn't, he was a bad king. That makes it simple, right? So they never had a good king. They go into captivity against Assyria. 150 years later, Judah, who is delivered by God against Assyria. You guys, maybe you remember the story. There's a story in the Bible in Isaiah that talks about this king, Shennacherib, coming against Judah and saying, nobody can save you from my hand. Your God can't save you. Nobody can save you. Everywhere we've been, they said their God would save them, but he never saved them. You're ours. We're going to come get you. Hezekiah takes the declaration, the letter that the king sent and the things that he shouted over the walls to the people. He opened it up in the temple of God and he said, Lord, here's what they're saying. Will you deliver us? That night, God sent an angel, just one. 186,000 Assyrians, gone. Next morning they wake up and they're like, where's that army at? They're just gone. God delivered them. He said, trust me, put your hope in me and I'll carry you through and we'll, things will be great, right? And so he laid that out for them. But you know what? For 150 years they couldn't do it. They couldn't follow him. So... Babylon came. When Babylon came, they took this temple, one of the wonders of the world that Solomon had built. That they, the one time when Solomon said, hey guys, we're going to take up an offering. This is the only time it's ever happened in history. We're going to take up an offering so we can build the temple. And the people gave so much that Solomon said, stop. We don't want any more. Keep a rest. They built it out of gold. And silver, cedar. You can read all about it in the Bible. talks about how they put it all together. Every little piece of it, every little part of the construction pointed to one of the redeeming qualities of Jesus Christ. So you see the temple put up, the temple's built. Beautiful. But when the Babylonians come, when the Babylonians conquer, here's what God says to the nation. Hey, you're going to captivity, so lay down your sword and go. And they said, no, that's not God. God would never tell us to lay down our sword. So they fought. So they're conquered three times by the same king. If the same king has to conquer you three times, you know what he does the third time? He tears everything down. So there's no more temple. No more city, no more walls, just a pile of rock. Jeremiah the prophet is up on a hill watching it all. This first time that the temple is destroyed. Listen to the words that he says. He says in Lamentations 1, How lonely sits a city that was full of people. How like a widow has she become. She who was great among the nations. She who was a princess among the provinces, has become a slave. She weeps bitterly in the night, the tears on her cheeks. Among all her lovers, she has none to comfort her. All her friends, they've dealt treacherously with her. They have become her enemies. Judah has gone into exile because of affliction and hard servitude. She dwells now among the nations, but finds no resting place. Her pursuers have all overtaken her in the midst of her distress. The road to Zion mourn. For none come to the festival. All her gates are desolate. Her priests groan. Virgins have been afflicted. And she herself suffers bitterly. Her foes have become the head. Her enemies prosper because the Lord has afflicted her for the multitudes of her transgression. Her children have gone away captive before the foe. Verse 12, it says, is, is it nothing to you, all you who pass by? Look and see if there is any sorrow like my sorrow, which is brought upon me, which the Lord inflicted on the day of his fierce anger. Chapter 2, verse 11, he says, My eyes are spent with weeping, my stomach churns, my bile is poured out to the ground because of the destruction 
of the daughter of my people, because infants and babies faint in the streets of the city. They cry to their mothers, Where is bread and wine? They faint like a wounded man in the streets of the city, and their life is poured out on their mother's bosom. What can I say for you? To what compare you, O daughter of Jerusalem? What can I liken to you that I may comfort you, O virgin daughter of Zion? For your ruin is vast as the sea, and who can heal you? Your prophets have seen for you false and deceptive visions. Listen, they have not exposed your iniquity to restore your fortunes, but have seen for you oracles that are false and misleading. Jeremiah and Isaiah and Ezekiel, they're there with the people, and they're telling the people what what God's word says. They're saying, here's what God's word says. Ezekiel says it over and over again. Isaiah the same, Jeremiah the same. Hey, it's time, you're being disciplined. You don't have to die. Doesn't have to be bad. Think about the times. One of the rules we had in my house when my boys were growing up in regard to discipline is part of the discipline was they had to submit to it. So if it was a whooping, if they were getting spanked, then they had to submit. If I got to wrestle with you, it's going to be bad. So you submit. And how long that takes really bears consequence in what kind of of a discipline it's going to be. The same way for the nation of Israel. They needed to submit to God's discipline. God said, look, you've been disobedient. The blood of the innocent cry out to me from the ground. I threw out the people who lived here before you because of that. Now here you are, the same, it's all the same, same things going on. You need to accept your discipline. I'm going to discipline you. I'm going to let you spend a period of time, 70 years, as slaves. And then I'll bring you back. You don't have to die. Submit. And their prophets would say, Oh no, God wants us to fight. Don't listen to that coward, Jeremiah. And so they'd take up the sword and die in the streets. And God would say through his prophet, you don't have to die, but they had false prophets, people that told them words they wanted to hear. Oh no, you're good people. God's not mad at you. He's going to deliver you, just like he delivered you before when the Assyrians came. He's going to deliver you. And they did not call forth their iniquity. And that's the same thing happening in our world today. There are not very many calling out the iniquity of the land, the sin of the land. We don't, we don't want to be that abrasive. It's abrasive, right? To tell somebody they're a sinner. To hear them say, who made you judge? Oh, don't worry, I'm not the judge. I'm just letting you know there's a judge coming. You might want to get right with him. Nobody does it. And it just, it boggles my mind. We were talking about it on Wednesday night. It boggles my mind that if God upended the whole nation of Israel because of the cry of innocent blood, you read in Genesis chapter 4, roughly, right? Cain and Abel. How many times before God um, confronts Cain? How many deaths was there? One, right? And what is it that God said to Cain? Your brother's blood cries to me from the ground we read revelation chapter 6 you want to know what blood crying from the ground sounds like read the voice of the martyrs the voice of the martyrs in revelation chapter 6 what do they say how long god before you're going to judge those who have killed us unright unrighteously the blood of the innocent cry out how much of that is in our world now as Jesus is looking and he's, he's giving them clues about the end of days, what we call theologically as the eschaton. And he's giving out clues and we always get wrapped around the axle over the clues, right? And we, we talk about them and we talk about, and we will, we'll talk about wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes in various places and 
famine and pestilence, but that's been here a long time. The point is, if the doomsday, last I heard the doomsday clock was at two minutes. That's crazy. Two minutes. If the doomsday clock is at two minutes in our world, what's a doomsday clock before a holy God? Or do we think there's no accounting to him? The problem was, they had lying prophets who would tell them it's all good, it's all okay. What is it that Paul told Timothy? Hey, in the last days, men are going to heap up for themselves teachers that scratch their itching Itching ears. They're going to tell them what they want to hear. It's all okay. No, that's not sin. This is not sin. It's, it's you know, those were ar- archaic terms anyway. I mean, who really is supposed to say, who has the authority to say that's good and that's evil? Just do what you want. And how long can you live like that? Before a God who is granting grace says no more. That's it. These prophets wouldn't say, they wouldn't call the people to repentance. I know that sometimes people, I don't know, they get, um, they, they get weird ideas. Like, what do I mean? Like, um, you know, I have gone out on the street corner on Main Street in Twin to stand on the corner where Planned Parenthood is and try to talk people on Tuesday and Wednesday when they do the pre-op and the actual abortions to not, not to do this. There's something else. And when you do that, you're not a fan. Nobody's a fan of you. No other churches. I called lots of churches. Hey, you want to help out? Well, not if you're going to tell them that that's sin. Oh, I'm definitely going to do that. Well, you might offend them. Oh, I might. I, I understand that. My, overall, my goal is not to offend them. My goal is to call them to repentance. To let them know that's sin. It's not okay. But that's uncomfortable. You know, people hate you when you do that. Like, hate you, hate you. I've had the opportunity to stand outside the craziest Planned Parenthood in the United States in Scottsdale, Arizona, where all kind of crazy stuff goes on uh, because there's an active church out there being present trying to to stop the shedding of, of innocent blood. And so you go out and you realize the, the vile hatred and we say, oh, I don't want to do that. I don't want to. I'm not telling you guys you got to go do that. I'm just telling you God, God wants his people to be willing to stand up and say, that's wrong. That's wrong. We have a, an outcry because somebody said it's wrong for you to do this at 39 weeks. Uh, it's wrong for you to do it at one. Sorry. It's just wrong. But if no one will call the people to repentance, then the people don't repent. If Jonah doesn't go to Nineveh and say, repent or God's going to judge you, the king wouldn't have walked out, put on sackcloth and repented, and the people wouldn't have followed him, and all those souls would have seen judgment then. What does it mean to be a warrior on the wall? To be someone who will sound the trumpet? To be someone who will do the uncomfortable thing? Will people hate you? Yes, that shouldn't be new. Jesus told us they'll hate you. If you're being like him, they'll hate you because they don't like him. So here you have these disciples saying to Jesus, what about these stones? What about these stones? What about these things that are around you? And it just reminds, I think, the Lord of a time when the children of Israel faced their first big test of the first destruction of the temple and he looks at him and he says to the disciples all these things you see up here that you're so proud of not one stone going to be left on another you go to israel today you can stand in a place called the teropian valley it's a little gully beside the temple and the stones are still there 
in a pile. Not little stones. I'm talking about big stones. So big that when they tumbled them off of the Temple Mount, they cracked the ground. They cracked the road, the street underneath them. And there they are in this big pile. And Jesus said, there's not going to be one left on another. And for, for the Jew, that's a big deal. I mean, that's like, that would be like somebody walking through Washington, D.C. and saying, I tell you, not one stone's going to be left on another. You look around at all the monuments and all the things that we've built for, for saying, you know, that we're a great nation. And, and to hear those words be like, wow, how, how can that be? How can that happen? How can this be what goes on? And so they asked him, as soon as Jesus said that, they asked him this question, when will these things be? When's that going to happen? I love it when Jesus gets asked really plain questions that he doesn't answer. Do you like that? I know there's a few times I like, Lord, would you have just, could you have just said it like this? If you were here with us last Wednesday, um, and or Sunday night, we talk about the idea that the Bible is, is intended to be meditative literature, right? It's not supposed to be simple answers. There's no spoon. It's supposed to be us saying, man, I want to learn. I want to know. I want to understand. So we meditate on the scriptures. We meditate on what God's word says. And so he's asked, when will these things be? What will be the sign that these things are about to take place? Now in Luke, they're very specifically, they want to know about the temple. You just said it's going to be wiped out. When's that going to happen? How will we know when that's going to happen? And that's the question that Jesus is going to answer. He said to them, first, see that you're not led astray. For many are going to come in my name and say, I am he. The time is at hand. Don't follow them. Many are going to come and say, I'm he. I'm he. In 60, in the year 60, a a revolution begins. Jews start to rebel against the Romans. And up on the temple, they would have people who were claiming to be Messiah, telling them, come follow me. We're going, God's going to give us a victory. We're going to beat the Romans. And Jesus said, a lot of guys are going to come in my name. Don't follow them. Don't fight. It's not the time. It's not the time, but people followed them. People followed them. 66, the revolution's in full sway. And you have a guy named Titus, who's got the Roman legions outside of Jerusalem. And then something interesting happens. He finds out that maybe he's the next Caesar. So he stops, turns around the Roman legions, kind of leaves some there, but goes back to Rome so he can, you know, become the guy who's in charge. There's a little gap. Time. Four years later, Vespasian, Titus' son, is outside with the Roman legions. And he's going to put it down. He puts down the rebellion in Jerusalem. And then he hears there's still a few Jews left in a place called Masada. You ever heard of that? A few Jews hiding in Masada. And he says, no, they want to fight. They can fight us. So he took the Roman legions to Masada. If you get up on top of Masada, we go there when we go to Israel. You can look down and still see the encampments of the Romans. You can still see the ramp they built. There was only a little snake trail that went to the top of this fortress on top of this plateau. There was only a little snake trail, single person trail. You could have defended that forever. So the Romans, one thing they had was manpower. So they just start piling dirt up. They built a mountain beside the mountain so they could get to Masada. Well, you say, well, the Jews could still fight for a long time while they're down there trying to build it. Well, there's this one problem. They started to use Jews. You're going to throw a rock at them? You're going to shoot them? Kill the Jews down there? They're being forced to build a ramp leading to your destruction. And so it took a long time. But they built it. Right? They come up over the walls, and the Jews granted an empty victory. How? 
They all committed suicide. Except for a woman, her two, chi- two kids, two children who hid and told the story about what had happened. You hear, can you not hear God saying again through his prophets to his people, don't fight. Just submit. You don't have to die. You don't have to die. Somewhere we get in our heads that this, there, are, there, are, there are things that we're supposed to, to die for, to fight for. Maybe there are. But not when the Messiah is standing in front of you saying, a lot of people are going to come tell you to do this. When they do, don't listen. Don't fight. Why should you die? Why should you die? You don't have to die. When they come to you, don't listen to them. You say, well, is that the only time that's happened? No. How many times? How many times do we turn on the news, read the newspaper, or read about some new Messiah figure who has led people up on top of a mountain or led people out into the middle of the desert and gave them Kool-Aid? And now they're all... What did the enemy come to do? Yeah, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's not what Jesus came to do. He said they're going to tear down that building. Why are they going to tear down that building? Because that's not my house anymore. Isn't that what all the testing was all about? Will we follow you? Will you be our Messiah? And the leadership is declaring, no, we're not going to follow you. So Jesus turns his back on the temple and says, see, your house is left to you desolate. It's yours. And they say, man, look at the shiny stones, oh Lord. This is such a cool building. Not one stone is going to be left on another. They're going to take it all down. It's all going to come crumbling down. It's all going to be piled up in, a, in the Teropian Valley. It's all going to be laid down there. So when's that going to happen? Listen, people are going to come and say they're like me. But they're not going to match up to me. Don't follow them. How do I know if they match up to Jesus? Is it really that complicated? Be good students of the word. What's the Bible teach? How did Jesus teach? Here's, here's one that people break all the time. Drives me crazy. Did Jesus ever set a date? So I can tell you this. Every human being who has ever set a date is dead wrong. True or false? What's the Bible say? Nobody's going to know the things that the Father... That's what Jesus said in Acts chapter 1. Nobody's going to know the things that are in the Father's time. Don't worry about it. We're all fairly worried about it. Look, look if, you, if Jesus is your Lord and Savior, you're not going to miss it. You're not going to find out three weeks after he came. Oh, Jesus came a couple weeks ago. You didn't know? That's not how that's going to go down. Jesus gave a very specific role to his people, though. He said, he said, while I'm away, do business till I come. Take the gift that I've given you, this gospel, this proclamation of the truth, that man can be forgiven. Why do I call people to repentance? Is it just so I can lord over them and call them sinners? I'm a sinner. How did I get right with the Lord? I repent. What am I asking people to do? Get right with God. Stop thinking it doesn't matter what you do, how you live, the things you you say, the places you go. Stop thinking that that's all good. It's not all good. Or we can just be quiet and put our heads in the sand. But there's nowhere in the Bible Jesus tells us to do that. He says, a lot of people are going to come and they're going to pretend they're me. So, so don't follow them. It happened in the 60s, happened in 66, happened in 70, happened a few years ago. Right? There was a fellow down in Texas who said he was Messiah. Now, I'm not saying what people did were right or wrong. I'm just saying nobody would have died if they didn't listen to the guy who said he was Messiah. Right? And years before that, it happened again. And it's and it, the tricks don't ever change. And the people keep buying it. Why? God's word is there for us so that we can say, no, I know what Jesus looks like when he comes. The Bible says he's going to come on a 
big white horse. Like a conqueror. And it says, every eye will see him. He's not going to be a secret. Everybody's going to know. Just as if the sun went out today. Do you think if the sun went out today, maybe you'd, you'd turn on the news tomorrow and say, I missed that. The sun went out? The moon turned to blood. Oh, nobody would notice that, right? Sure they do. Sure they do. These are the signs in the heavens. But listen to what Jesus said. They're going to come. Don't listen to them. Don't go after them. Look at verse 9. And when you hear of wars and tumults, rumors of wars, what's the next phrase? Do not what? Do not be terrified. What's the first thing we do when we study prophecy? We start getting freaked out. No? We start thinking of all the bad things that are going to happen and how hard it's going to be and we start getting nervous and we buy a lot more ammo. <laughs> we, we go out and find out there's a sale on, on AR so we stock up. Hey, everybody knows there are more guns in Idaho than anywhere else in the United States of America. I tell people all the time, you don't need to worry about Idaho. Nobody's coming. Nobody's in a hurry to come here. He says, don't be terrified. Don't freak out. You know that when Elijah was called of God to deliver a message to the king, God said, go tell the king it's not going to rain for seven years. That'd be kind of a big deal, right? It's not going to rain for seven years. There's going to be a famine. So Elijah goes and tells the king. You know what Elijah didn't do? He didn't pile up a bunch of food or get a gun. He didn't do that. What did he do? He goes and tells the king, delivers a message to the king, Lord, what do I do? He says, I'll go down there by the creek, sit under a tree. How's that going to help me? So he went down to the creek, sat under a tree. The Lord sent ravens to feed him. Now, I'm not promising you that was a three-course meal, right? The ravens didn't fly in with a pizza. But the ravens came in, and they fed him, and he had the water of the creek. And then when the water dried up, the Lord led him to a widow, and, and the Lord took care of the widow. You, you got, if you, if you go, read the Old Testament. It's full of scriptures that talk about God's ability to deliver. So he says to us, when you hear about all these things coming, don't freak out. Don't get paranoid. Be like Jesus. What did Jesus do? One day while Jesus was, was walking down the road, he said to his disciples, you know what, I need to go to Samaria. And the disciples looked at him and said, nobody ever says that. Nobody ever goes, you know what, I need to go to Samaria. Because nobody likes to go to Samaria. Samaria is no good. But Jesus says, i got to go there. You see... What you guys don't know is there's a woman at the well who's, who's ready to hear the gospel. And when I share it with her, she's going to get people and bring them down. And more people are going to hear. And So I'm going to go to Samaria. So he went to a dangerous place. Full of people who hate Jews. Without a gun. Crazy. And he stood at a place. He stood down there and he shared the gospel and... A lot of people came forward. It's where Jesus said, you know what? The fields are white. Pray the Lord of the harvest send workers. To do what? To do what I'm doing. So when there's wars and rumors of wars and the world gets upside down, there's a whole bunch of people who know why it's upside down. Right? Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. God's able to take care of you. Yeah? And I promise you this, you can build and hoard and get whatever you want. There will be somebody bigger who will take it all away. And you say, no, they're not over my dead body. Yeah, <laughs> probably. <laughs> probably. And what would God say? You don't have to die. You don't have to die. Trust me. 
Trust me. Walk with me. Do the things that I'm laying out for you. Listen to the words that I'm telling you. When you hear these things, you see wars and rumors of wars, don't be afraid. What's he say? For these things must take place. What's the next phrase? But the end is now. No, what's it say? The end is what? The end is not yet. The end's not yet. Stop freaking out. You hear of wars and rumors of wars, don't be terrified. Don't be afraid. Conflict is going to be worldwide. Look at verse 10. Then he said to them, nation will rise against nation. Ethnos against ethnos. Ethnic group against ethnic group. There will be a division in the world according to ethnicity. Anybody recognize that yet? There are whole countries that don't exist anymore because of ethnic cleansing. Countries that were on a map when I grew up that aren't there no more. That are replaced by new names. Because two different groups, two different ethnic groups, and I promise you, if I lined them up in front of you, you couldn't tell them apart. Hated each other enough to tear a country apart. It's happened all over the place. Do we really think that couldn't come to our own door? That couldn't happen here. Nation, ethnos against ethnos, kingdom against kingdom. Literally, this, this is a Hebrew idiom for there will be worldwide war. Has that ever happened before? There was a time you could say, not really. And then there was World War I. It was followed by, yeah, what's, that was supposed to be the end of war, right? Here's the one thing I know that man's able to do. Make war. He's really good at that. Really good at war. He says there's going to be worldwide war. These things are going to happen. There's going to be catastrophes. Look at verse 11. There will be great earthquakes. Anybody seen any great earthquakes lately? Now before, before we go crazy, because I know we always do and we say, folks will say, well there's more earthquakes now than there ever was before. Every place I take you, when you're looking at ruins, if, when we go to Israel, every city that's fallen down, you know what it fell down from? Earthquakes. Really? Yeah. You know why there's no Ephesus now? Earthquake. Bet-Shan, big city that we walk through. You know why it's not there no more? Earthquake. Earthquake. What is it God saying? He's saying, look, there's going to be wars and rumors of wars, but the end's not yet. There's going to be world war. There's going to be catastrophes, earthquakes, and famines, and pestilence. Is, is that happening? There's horrible pestilence, horrible famine. People are starving. All of these things are going on. This is, this is part of what's happening in the world today. And so immediately he says, in panic, as soon as you see that. No. That's not what he says. He don't ever say that. He does not ever say that. He says there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. You want to read about a sign from heaven, read Revelation chapter 12. Did you know Revelation chapter 12 is a sign from heaven? It starts that way. And there was a sign in heaven. That's how, that's how we know. Revelation chapter 12, it actually talks about signs in the stars. The whole story is about the stars and the story they tell and the things that happen. It says these things are going to happen. All this stuff is going to go on. But what's the next verse say? They have this big word, but. But changes everything. Right? You know, you're a really nice guy, but. What's the emphasis on? Well, you're a really nice guy, but I don't like you. But erases all the stuff that comes before but. All these things are happening, all this stuff is going on, but before all this. Before it's time to worry about all those things, what does Jesus say? They're going to lay their hands on 
you. They're going to persecute you. They're going to deliver you up to the synagogues and the prisons. Who's he talking to? He's talking to his disciples, right? They're the ones that started the conversation. What's the one thing all those disciples have in common? Every single one of them is going to get beat for their faith. Every single one of them is going to be arrested because they preached Jesus Christ and him crucified and raised again. Many of them are going to die in prison, be beheaded, be hung, be burned, be thrust through with a spear. Many of them are going to suffer all these different things and in all these different ways. And so Jesus is saying, you guys are worried about when one stone's not left on another. You're worried about the day when there's wars and rumors of wars and earthquake and signs in the heaven. But he says, I want you to know that they're going to come for you first. They're going to come for you. There's going to be persecution. There's going to be a time of suffering. There's going to be all these things that go on. They're going to bring you before kings and governors for my name's sake. What does he say? So because they're going to do this, get a gun. Now, Okay, before I make everybody mad, I have guns. Don't freak out. I'm, I'm not, I'm not anti-gun. I'm just saying Jesus isn't calling us to grab a gun and fight. What does he say? What's the next verse? They're going to come arrest you. They're going to drag you into prison. They're going to drag you before kings. They're going to drag you before governors. What does he say? Nobody wants to read that part, huh? This will be an opportunity for you to witness. This will be an opportunity for you to witness. We can read about it. Because the things Jesus said happened. In Acts chapter 4 it says, we have uh, Peter and John speaking. It says, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you. The builders which have become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. You know who, who they're talking to? They're talking to the people who crucified Jesus. The same guys. Not a new group. The same ones. They're boldly standing before them and telling them there's no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. And they're calling them, the ones who, who were a part of crucifying Christ, they're calling them to repent. Jesus said, they're going to arrest you and they're going to bring you before the, the, these councils. And when they do, it's going to be an opportunity for you to tell them, come, repent, and God will forgive. Here's the beautiful thing. There's nothing that anyone has done that God will not forgive them for. I feel like Paul, I can say I'm the chief of sinners. I've done horrible, horrible, horrible stuff. I'm, I, was, I am not, was not a good person. Any stretch of the imagination. But I want you to know that if you repent, God will forgive. That's the reason I stand on a corner. That's the reason I, I try to call out to let them know, look, God will forgive you. God will sustain you. You don't have to do this. You don't have to die. You don't have to be separated from God. You can repent. When, when, when Peter and John say these things, look what it says in verse 13 of Acts 4. It says, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived they were uneducated. Meaning these guys are just knuckleheads. Look at them. You want, you want to see a great group of knuckleheads? Get all the crazy people with their motorcycles out there some one place. Start talking about Jesus. You got, you got a perfect group of knuckleheads. Look at that. These just a bunch of dumb bikers don't know it's not summer yet. But they can call people to repentance. They can sit right next to a guy from Brother Speed who's been running hard and long and say to a man, 
Do you know that God calls men everywhere to repent and believe? You don't got to stay in this. You don't got to be here. And there's nothing special about them. There's not some special thing. They're not special armor. Some No, it's just knuckleheads being used by Christ. That's all the Lord is ever looking for. They're uneducated common men. And they were astonished. And they said, you know, these guys were with Jesus. That's what I want people to know about me. In Acts chapter 9, when Paul gets saved, the Lord said to him, Go, for Paul is a, a chosen vessel, a chosen instrument of mine, to carry my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Paul got arrested more than anybody you know. I know a lot of people have been arrested a lot. When I, when I used to go down to the jails, uh, probably, probably eight years ago, maybe nine years, I started going. And we used to go every single Tuesday, do a Bible study down there. And the rules were different, so you could get, they would open up the whole jail. We'd, have, we'd go back in the exercise yard, and we'd have like 50 guys back there. And we'd sit down, and we'd talk. And I did that for a few years. And while I was doing it, there were people I saw more than once. I'd see them, and then they'd be gone. And then I'd see him again. And I'd always say the same thing. What are you doing back here? Oh, just a knucklehead. Message didn't change. You know, God will forgive you for that. Just repent. Repent, lay that stuff down. Follow Jesus. That's the message we want to take, right? But the person arrested more than anybody I know is Paul. He could not go anywhere. Do you know, you can get arrested right now in Canada if you want to. There's probably a lot of ways you can do it, but you can do it by actually saying what Paul said. Just read one of Paul's letters. Stand out on the street. Read one of Paul's letters. You can go in jail just like Paul. Really? Yeah. That's coming here too. It'll come one day. I don't know when, but it'll come. It'll happen. Jesus said, before all this stuff happens, they're going to come for you. They're going to arrest you. They're going to persecute you. He says, when, when all that stuff happens, I just want you to know this is an opportunity to witness, not an opportunity to freak out. In verse 14, he says, so settle it in your minds. Settle it in your minds. One day, life is going to be harder than it is today. Settle it in your minds. Between now and then, there's a lot of things we can do. Isn't there a lot of things we can do? Last I checked, you still live in a free country. So there's an opportunity to shake and rattle doors. To let your voice be heard. One day, they're going to come and say, we don't want to hear you no more. You can't talk. They're going to declare that the things you want to say are hate speech. That's really close, folks. But the door's still open. You can still pretty much go anywhere you want to go in the United States. You can still set up a little soapbox, stand up on a soapbox and read the word of God, calling people who walk by to, to repent and believe. It's a ministry called Jeremiah Cries. Bunch of young guys that go out, street preach, answer the questions that come. We might walk by and say, man, those guys are weird. I don't know if they're weird or we are. Which one is it? I don't know. They're, they're, they're there. They're ready. They've made up their minds. They're going to go. He says, don't meditate ahead of time. Don't worry about writing your speech that you're going to give to the president when he calls you up, when you get arrested. He says, don't write it. The Lord says, I'll give it to you when it's time. I'll give you what to say. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. Remember Stephen? They're dragging Stephen up to stone him, and Stephen just bold, man. He's just telling them over and over again, man, this Jesus whom you crucified, he's the way to eternal life. You need to repent and believe. What'd he get for it? He got stoned. What'd Paul get? He lost a head. John, he got cooked in oil. 
He lived through it. Over and over and over again, we see the same thing. They're they're saying to Jesus, when's all this going to come down? You know that every single one of them, mm, that's not true. Most of them will be alive when Jerusalem falls. When the temple's destroyed. Most of them, not all of them. Most of them will still be alive. Do you know not one of them ever write about it? The thing prior that they thought was going to be so important that the temple's going to fall down? Well, what, what, what does that mean? If the temple comes down, that, that's got to be close to the end of the world. And, and none of them write about it. You know what they write about? They write about men and women taking the truth of God's gospel and taking it to heart and being who God's really calling us to be. And saying, man, the good news is, if it's not the end, you still have a day. Who can you talk to? You still have an opportunity. Who can you share with? Or they're going to they're gonna think I'm, a, I'm weird. You're right. They will. They, they may unfriend you. <laughs> I've been unfriended so many times, I don't even know whose friend I am anymore. That they're gonna, they're gonna, maybe you lose a job. Maybe you do. I don't know. I don't know. I just know it's better to try to live your life to please your Lord than it is to please all the people around you who, when Judah fell, all those friends Judah thought they had, who was there for her? When Jeremiah is weeping over the nation, he's, he's describing her. It's poetic language, right? He's describing her as a, a mother whose children are dying or children who are crying out in the streets and all these things going on. And when that happened, he said, you know what? All the people that were your friends, none of them are here. Not one. But there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. There is a friend who will never leave you or forsake you. There is one who will not deny you. His name is Jesus. And he's telling them, he's telling the people, man, this is, this is where we want to have our focus. This is where we want to have our minds set on. Because in verse 16 he says, You'll be delivered up by your parents and brothers, relatives and friends. Some of you they're going to put to death and you will be hated for, by all for my name's sake. This is a great plan, right? Don't you want to be saved? Here's here's the upside. You'll be betrayed, put to death, and hated. Well, sign up, quick. But that's what Jesus is saying. Is it true or not? Is it true or not that when you decide you're going to stand with Jesus, you have resistance in the family? Is it true or not when you decide you're going to stand up for Jesus that you won't get death threats? Is it true or not that when you decide to stand up for Jesus that you'll be hated? It's true. Jesus don't ever lie. He did not lie to one person. He said, you want to follow me? You're worried about when all these rocks fall down and when the wars come and the earthquakes happen and there are signs in the heavens. And maybe that day is tomorrow. But if it's not today, we still have an opportunity, don't we? What's the point? To run home and count how many earthquakes happened in the last 50 years, and are we getting closer or further away? Or is it to say, man, I want to stand up for Jesus. i got time to stand up for Jesus today. i got, I got time to stand up for Him. In John 15, Jesus said, If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. So if I'm, if I'm following Jesus, then there's, there's a chance that the world's going to treat me like they treated him, right? That there's going to be that kind of attitude toward me like they had toward him. If I was of the world, the world would have loved me because the world loves its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said, a servant's not greater than his master. If they hate me, they're going to hate you. If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. But listen to what he says in 18 and 19. Last part we're going to read. But not a hair of your head will perish. What are you afraid of? Not a hair of your head will perish. 
If you're already bald, they can't do anything for you. No, it's a Hebrew idiom. What does it mean? The Bible tells us that God knows the number of the hair on our head, and he's not going to lose them. He doesn't lose you. You won't be lost. Death has no victory. Death cannot win. They, they take your life. All they can do is usher you into the presence of your God and Savior. That's all man can do. So he says, you don't have to be afraid. Not one hair on your head will perish. Not one. Close your eyes here. Open your eyes there. And by your endurance, you will gain your life. Jesus said, if a man wants to save his life, he'll... But if he gives it away, if he loses his life, he'll save it. By your endurance, you can save your life. By your endurance. By saying, you know what? This is the point that Jesus is trying to get across. We're going to talk about more prophetic things in, in the next week to come. Look at more prophetic issues. But there's a, a message that he has for his disciples in particular and for you and I secondarily. And that is, if Jesus comes tomorrow, hallelujah. Do you want to be ready? Yeah, I want to be ready if Jesus comes tomorrow. But if, he, if, he's, if I got a day, there's something I'm supposed to do with it. He calls me to watch and pray and be ready, right? Watch and pray and be ready for what? According to this, he's saying watch and and pray and be ready because persecution may come and struggles may come. But when they come, it's an opportunity for you to witness. And don't be afraid about what you'll say. I'll give you what to say. Just be willing to be used of God and let God use you. Let God use you to say, hey, Sometimes we have to have an uncomfortable conversation and say, you know what? That's not okay. Turn. You don't have to die. Live. For Jesus Christ calls all men everywhere to repent and believe. Amen? Would you stand with me and let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the truth of your word and the things that your word is declaring, what your word lays out for us. God, we want to follow you, want to be obedient to you. We don't want to have blind eyes. We, we want to recognize and be aware of the sign of the time. And maybe our days are shorter than when we first began. Maybe our days are very short. But God, I pray we would not use that as an excuse to coast and just, and just look for your glorious appearing but that we recognize you've given us a responsibility. You're calling us to bear witness. You're asking us to call men to repentance. You're asking us to, to share with people, to pray with people, to step outside of our nice, comfortable existence and be willing to do what's uncomfortable. To really stand up and say, I'm with the Lord. I'm on Jesus' side. I'm not trying to... Be, I'm not trying to be mean or hurtful or hateful. I'm, I'm trying to, to let you know that Jesus will forgive you. All you got to do is repent. That Jesus will welcome you in. I know because he, he welcomed me in. But I, can't, I can't just stay on this road. I can't just watch, stand by and watch while people perish. God, I pray that we will be faithful. That you are calling us as hands and feet to be a witness. Just like you called the disciples to be a witness. You're calling us to be a witness. You're saying it may get hard. It may be difficult. And we can choose during that time to do it our way. But when I read the Old Testament, I realize every time they did that, they were wrong. We can choose to do it your way. Okay, Lord, this is the way things are going on in the world, but, but I got an opportunity to call men to repentance. I can, tell, I can tell my friend or my neighbor or the person that I don't even know on the, on the street or the, or the young woman or the young man who are blindly running down a path of destruction. I can say, stop going that way. That path doesn't lead where you want to go. God, I pray that we might hear your voice and respond. The days are short. They're way shorter than when we first began.
And I pray, Lord, that we respond, that we recognize that you're calling us to be active, active on so many fronts, to declare the truth. What's true? The truth is what God's word declares. This is true. And shouting that it's not true doesn't make it false. God, I pray that you make us bold. Fill us with your spirit. Equip us to be your hands and feet. And as we look at it, our world that is perishing and wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes in various places and pestilence and famine and destruction and hatred to one side to another and shouting and all the carrying on, Lord, that we might be the voice of reason that stands in the middle of it all and says, repent and believe. You can be saved. Lord, I pray that you would be glorified as we turn our eyes and our hearts toward you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I come, God, I come, return.